You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. And welcome to the first holiday edition of the Needless Things podcast. I guess it's the holiday edition. We're we're going to be talking a little bit of holidays. Thanksgiving is next week, which is ridiculous, but it is. It's already Thanksgiving. Uh, we're on episode thirty nine now, which is is far ahead of where I had really expected to be at this point. And we've got some exciting stuff coming up. I've, I've got plans for podcasts throughout the end of the year. Uh, of course, the first podcast of next year will be me and Bo Brown talking about this year in Masters of the Universe Classics. But I'm, I'm trying to do a lot of stuff focused on toys between now and then because, of course, the holidays uh, are, are... It's Christmas, man. You get toys and needless things. That's what we do a lot of is talk about toys. But today... We're going to talk about lots of stuff, man, because I've got my pal Jim Stacy on the show, and he is a workhorse. He is a man who wears many different hats. He is a man who you could apply lots of cliches to. He runs a restaurant called Palookaville that is quite literally the best place I've ever eaten. I don't say that because he's a friend of mine. I don't say that because it's a local Atlanta place. I say that because I sit around and I think about Palookaville corn dogs all day long. Yeah, that's right, corn dogs. This guy has created the perfect corn dog. And and if you're if that sounds underwhelming to you, then you probably have no soul. But it's just, I can't even explain how good it is. You just have to have one of these corn dogs. But the thing is, there's all kinds of other stuff at Palookaville. They've got Rubens, they've got shakes, they've got arugula salad, salads, salads at this place. I haven't had a salad because, you know, that's not really my thing. Uh, but they, there's just tons of different interesting cuisine there and it's all fantastic. Uh, but this guy's done lots of other stuff. He's been in bands. He's an artist. Uh, and he hosts a TV show called Offbeat Eats with Jim Stacy. And here's a little spot for it that, that wasn't asked for. I'm just doing this because the guy's on my show and I want to plug his stuff. Uh, Offbeat Eats is a celebration of America's roadside rebel chefs, the people who create quirky eateries that are off the beaten path and serve up deliciously offbeat food and experiences. From hidden local gems to restaurants doing surprising new things where you least expect it, Offbeat Eats is a roadmap to restaurants that are a little hard to find, but always worth the journey. Now what this show is, is Jim, Jim is a, a, a big gregarious friendly guy who you love talking to and who just can get giddy and excited over 
the the smallest things and watching this show is delightful because he'll be back in the kitchen uh talking to these different like rock and roll chefs or or all kinds of themed eateries stuff that you you probably haven't seen before or at least not in this way but he'll be back there and somebody will pull out a little you know dish of caramelized onions and and jim will get giddy and he'll say "Ooh, those look delicious and he's just delight to watch and you can check this show out on the food channel on on the big boy man or i'm sorry the cooking channel there's so many different food oriented channels uh that, that i can't keep track but the cooking channel the newest episode is this thursday at 10 p.m uh, and, and the show regularly comes on Thursdays at 10 p.m. And if you haven't already watched them, you can go on demand. And they've got, as of right now, they've got uh, the first five episodes up. Uh, the sixth is this Thursday night. And right now they've got seven on the schedule. And I think Jim mentions during the podcast how many they've actually got in the can. But uh, they're they're really fun. They're all fun. They've got a circus-themed episode a cheese themed episode uh one where he visits different sort of rock and roll themed places and and it's just a fun show he he visits uh you know a couple of places per episode and checks out some really cool food and it's one of those things my wife gets angry because we'll sit there and watch it and she'll just be like well now i just want to eat this awesome food and all we've got is peanut butter and jelly but uh which i i would bet money that jim stacy could make some kind of kick-ass incredible like deep fried cayenne pepper peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something i don't know i'm sure he's got some kind of crazy peanut butter and jelly sandwich up his sleeve but i wanted to have him on the show i wanted to talk about uh his his what he's done everything he's done because you know it's a long road from playing darth vader in a star wars band oh that's right a star wars themed band called grand moff tarkin uh jim was the lead vocalist and was also darth vader so he's up on stage in hot little clubs in full-on darth vader armor and this this was in the days and we, we talk about this this was in the days before you could go online and buy darth vader armor like this was pre-cosplay so you really you you had to know what you were doing and put your stuff together plus the fact that Jim's got a couple inches on me. I'm six four, and he's taller than I am. So you're you're also looking at sort of a legit sized Darth Vader. Uh, but I want to talk to him about Grand Moff Tarkin. I want to talk to him about tattooing and art, and and basically everything he's done. And and we covered a lot. We didn't cover it all. And I'm definitely going to have him back on someday because just talking to this guy is is delightful. And I, I just watch the show. Watch the show, and you'll understand what I'm saying. Uh, check out Offbeat Eats and look at this guy and and how he interacts with people and how much enjoyment he gets out of just hanging and and learning and checking out food and stuff and you'll get it. Uh, but before you do that, listen to this podcast and and you'll get it there too. All right, I got to get into the stuff where I tell you that the Needless Things podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. You can find the main page at needlessthingssite.com where I'll have some notes about the show, might have some pictures, and I have more than just podcast. That's right. Five days a week, usually. Every once in a while, we'll miss a day. Five days a week, myself and my team of writers provide 
content related to toys, movies, music, entertainment, uh, all the good nerd stuff that you you like to read about and listen to, hopefully, anyway. If you don't, maybe this isn't the podcast or the website for you. But check out NeedlessThingsSite.com. Different content every day. Uh, we've got several writers now, and we, we're really trying to vary it up a little bit. But we're heading into the holidays, and we've got some holiday-oriented content. And when I say holidays, I don't say holidays out of respect for anybody. Uh, I, I've I Personally, I celebrate Christmas. I love Christmas. Loved it since I was a kid. But I say holidays because it does encompass everything. Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas. You know, this it's that time of year where we should all be celebrating and and don't worry about what anybody else celebrates just you know we're all having fun we're all people that like to party and give gifts and enjoy family and all that kind of stuff so when i say holidays i'm just being all encompassing but uh i i will definitely say merry christmas and i'll say it now merry christmas because we're headed that way but before we get there we've got thanksgiving and which is food oriented, which makes it a perfect time to talk to Jim Stacy, which is what we're gonna do right now. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the holidays, Phantomaniacs. I've got a very cool episode for you tonight. I am here talking with Mr. Jim Stacy, who honestly has too many credentials to go into just in an introduction. I'm just going to say right now, he's a big, nice fella, and uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of different stuff. What, what I want to start with, this is what I usually do when I'm talking to somebody, is I'll begin with where I first encountered you, and we can go from there. Sure. Uh, the first time okay. I ever met you... Was uh, now and I'm sure I'd run into you, you know, before maybe at at Black Cat or one of the tattoo shops or something. But the first mm-hmm. time I actually spoke to you was at after a Grand Moff Tarkin show at the Point in Atlanta, and you guys kind of got stuck because that show had a lot of gear to move around. And afterwards, yeah. uh, I threw a bunch of stuff in the back of my pickup and drove it back over to your house. And that was the first time I ever actually like exchanged words with you and, and kind of, you know, met you and that's, saw, wow, that's what Darth Vader looks like. Yeah, that's, that was, uh, that was when we did two shows in one day at, uh, the point. Um, we did a, we did a matinee show and then we did an early evening show so kids could come. So that was uh that was pretty it was pretty crazy because we did that we staged that show twice that day oh my gosh and that i mean that had to be kind of <laughs> kind of miserable just playing one show and all that gear well playing the playing and it was during the summer too so playing the point in the summer was miserable anyway and then you add you know 50 60 pounds of armor and wool and leather and uh it's, it's sure enough, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a Zen process for sure. It, you know, the other guys didn't have anything better. You know, they're wearing fiberglass. And, yeah. Yeah. And you, well, and you guys made all that stuff, right? 
yeah, it was uh, it was all made from scratch. I mean, at the time, there wasn't there were only a few references outside of the movies, um, and Star Wars costuming was very early on. Um, if there were things available, they were highly inaccurate. Um, and so a lot of it, like I, I cobbled together a couple of pieces here and there. Um, and then the rest of it was bashed together. You know, um, I bought these really inaccurate, uh, vacuum form pieces of, of Boba Fett and Darth Vader. And we bought, uh, Don Post masks and tore them apart. Or, you know, fiberglass them. So everything, you know, then I sewed all the undergarments, everything like that. So it was a lot of, it, it was a lot of sewing. It was a lot of mannequin parts that we kit bashed. There was a lot of, there was a lot of JB Weld. There was a lot of Bondo. Um, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was fun. I don't have that kind of time now. Right, right. When I, when I think about that, when I think about the, just the sheer amount of time I spent building those, those costumes. It's pretty staggering. You know, people are like, how much did it cost? And it's like, well, it didn't cost, but, you know, I built, we built 20 costumes for probably less than 3,500 bucks, you know, yeah. but the, the amount of time I had in them, you know, it, it just, you know, we were buying East German surplus uniforms and I was sewing them into jodhpurs and putting, you know, a, a, a an apron breast on top of it so it looked like a Death Star, you know, Death Star uh, officer, you know, just stuff like that. So, I mean, we were making this stuff do, and it looked fine on stage. When I look back at that costume now, that Darth Vader costume now, it's just laughable how wrong it is. <laughs> um, but it looked good at the time, and at the time there weren't that many Darth Vaders, you know. And the guys that were doing it were these short guys in, in platform boots and Giant Pez Vader heads. You know, yeah, they yeah. look more like Dark than Darth Vader, and so it was really weird to see somebody who was built like Prowse and as big as Prowse um, dressed as Vader. You know, and when Prowse, when I met Prowse um, at Dragon Con, when when Grandma Tarkin did that, he was like, "You're the one that ought to be, you know, you ought to be playing Vader." You know, he's like, "You're the only person I've seen with the attitude, with the size, with the bulk." You know, it was pretty flattering to hear him say that, and you know, all the other guys were there with it, with me when he said it. So <laughs> I had witnesses. You know, <laughs> well, and and, like, and I'll say, I mean, seeing you up there on the stage, you know, it, it, immense in that Vader costume, growling out the lyrics and everything. I mean, it, it, what you had a presence that that was at. You know, I saw when I went to. Uh, if you remember when they were opening Toys R Us stores around the country, yeah. they would have yeah. like Mr. T would show up and they'd have a guy in a Vader sure. costume and, you know, little eight or nine year old me or whatever, seeing a guy in a Vader suit that, that was, it kind of brought that back a little bit, seeing that in person. I've, I've actually seen pieces of that Vader suit, that tour suit. Really? Um, that, yeah, that was used a lot of the, a lot of the Vader guys use that as prominent as, as touchstones in their prominence. I mean, let me tell you, there is there is an entire uh, life sucking rabbit hole of Vader minutia you can fall into <laughs> an argument. I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of man hours of arguing on forums about 
<laughs> about millimeters and uh, colors of lenses. I mean, it, it's it's incredible, you know, just the minutiae these guys have gotten into uh, since we did Tarkin originally. Well, and that's the uh, thing is, I'd be laughing. You you guys did that in what was it ninety six and seven? So this oh, was no, it was nine. It was ninety. It was ninety. It was ninety nine. Two thousand. Two thousand. Oh, was it that late? Yeah, we did the last. One. Yeah, it was that late. I didn't move to Atlanta until ninety nine. Okay. Okay. I, I didn't. I didn't return back to Atlanta until ninety nine. Man, that's that's a few years later than I thought it was. But that still yeah. predated the internet and costuming and everything it, else as we know we, it today. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We did. You know, like the RPF was was in its infancy there. Yeah. I didn't even know about the RPF. I was using Yahoo groups to find other Vader costumers. Um, and so I didn't even know about the RPF at that point. Not that it would have done me any good. You know, <laughs> I was, I was getting ripped off. I was getting ripped off by the same guy, uh, on stormtrooper armor that everybody else was getting ripped off. By. Right. Right. Um, dude, what nightmare. I still, he's, he's still one of those guys that if I ever run up on him, I'm going to punch him in the mouth. Um, 15 years later. Um, but he, yeah, so, I mean, it, there is, it, it has gotten, you know, it has gotten, uh, it's gotten pretty phenomenal. I mean, what the, the quality stuff these guys are turning out now is, uh, pretty amazing. Um, but it wouldn't have happened, uh, you know, even those guys, no matter how good their suits are, I, you know, I, I dare them to do an hour and a half in it on stage doing full rock. Yeah. You know, and that was, that was another thing too. When Prowse saw it, he was like, he made me bring my suit, my uh, suit to him to look at. And, uh, it was, you know, leather pants, a leather shirt, jacket, mm-hmm. then a wool tunic, then the armor, then a wool cape, and then the helmet, and then the gloves and everything else. And he was like, you realize that my tunic and my, shirt in the back of my pants were mesh right <laughs> they were fishnet and I, was like, I was like what are you talking about <laughs> he said he, he said why why is, are you playing in a leather suit with two wool tapes on and i said because Darth Vader's a badass that's what he would have worn <laughs> he's like he's like you're an idiot <laughs> I like, yeah i guess so and then Jeremy Bullock came over, so I'm standing there with Jeremy Bullock and David Prowse and David Cross of all people. It was weird. <laughs> and Billy Moomy walked, and uh, and he was like, uh, and, and Bullock was like, "Yeah, I don't understand this, son." He's like, "We were never allowed to be in those those suits more than twenty minutes, uh, more than fifteen minutes at a time." <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about? I just did two hours in it." Oh my gosh! You know? Oh, so yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It was pretty good. I mean, it was stuff like that that it was great to find, you know, to meet these guys and talk to them and, you know, see how, I don't know, just see what they, they even thought about this ludicrous stuff. And then when it comes right down to it, you know, poor, poor Prowse just got screwed right and left. Yeah. 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 He, I mean, he had no idea what he was going into. Yeah. It wasn't soon after that that they shot the, they shot the, uh, reunion picture and didn't invite him. Oh. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Shot the reunion vanity fair and didn't 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 invite him. Um, so you know, it's just stuff like that. It's just you know, though it, it was great to 
it was great to meet all those guys, you know. So, and it was a, it, it was a, it was a great time. I mean, we were like, wow, there's going to be prequels, you know. I, I can I remember how excited we were about that, and how disappointed we were once we watched it. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, it was pretty. It was pretty astounding. Nobody had really seen anything like that. We uh, we joked around because the guy who made Shane Stormtrooper suit sent us such a piece of crap that we ended up building a stormtrooper suit for him out of uh, mannequin parts and uh, cutting up a mannequin. Oh, wow. Because that, because that looked better than the stormtrooper suit the guy had, the stormtrooper armor the guy had sent us. Damn. Um, it was that bad. And so we joked around because those first two two shows, he was in what we called uh, his, uh, his, his Jethro Jetson suit because <laughs> it looked like... It looked like he was wearing white rubber boots and I mean, like oh. fishing boots. It was just terrible. Um, but it was, it was like, whatever, man. This it got us, it got our ass on stage and, you know, we raffled off a Star Wars car and we blew up a goddamn, you know, uh, Death Star in the middle of a sold out Echo Lounge. So <laughs> that was definitely pretty, that was definitely pretty great white because we were firing off all those horrible homemade pyrotechnics that we had made. So now you guys probably, <laughs> I, I would imagine uh, I, none of you really have the time to play shows in that same way again. But have you ever thought about going back and re-recording the songs? Um, no, not really. I mean, it was a it was a place in time. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a place in time. You know, we've talked about we talked about maybe Colin doing it again for the new the new movies coming out. Mm-hmm. But I just I'm just not a I don't have to fire in my belly for it like I did before. Right, right. Um, I feel like uh, I feel like the franchise has jumped the shark, and I've been duped. Um, all I'm, all I feel about, uh, all I feel to be duped by, by Lucas. You know, yeah. I know this stuff is out of his hands, um, which is good. But I am not a George Lucas fan at this point. Um, I feel like uh, I feel like we've uh, we've been duped. You know, duped enough by the man. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, you said, you said you moved here in '99. Where, where'd, uh, where'd you come from, and what brought you here? I was born, I was born and raised in Atlanta, but um, grew uh, actually born in Little Five Points. Uh, my grandfather had the Candler Park Supermarket; it's still there. That was his. That was his supermarket. Oh wow! My dad moved us up. My dad moved us up to Stone Mountain. We left Stone Mountain when I was in fourth grade and moved up to Kennesaw. Um, I graduated high school from up there, um, got a bunch of scholarships, but the largest scholarship was to University of Georgia. So mm-hmm. I went to Athens, um, was there, it was, was in school for about, I don't know, uh, five quarters or so. Got kicked out, had a judicial misunderstanding with the university. So we both t- told each other to kiss our asses and went our merry ways. And I opened up my first restaurant then. So. Oh wow! So you've was when, when yes. did you? Because you've got to drive. You're you're one of those. You could put the hardest working guy in you know whatever moniker in front of your name. I think where where does that come from? Where where do you get your work ethic to to keep at things and to do so many different things? Um, I don't, I don't know really. It's just I've, I've, it's I've just got a really active mind, and if I don't, if I have these ideas and don't. Um, don't act on them, then I feel like I've wasted time. 
Um, and for some reason, that is the biggest sin to me. Like, wasting time is a cardinal sin as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. It drives me crazy when I, when I hear people tell me that they're bored. Um, to me, that's just, that's just ridiculous that, that you could ever be bored. There's too much to see, too much to do, too much to learn, too much to read, too much to watch. Yeah. Uh, too many, too many injustices to write. Uh, too many things to cry over, too many things to laugh about, um, too many things to see. Uh, I just don't understand. I don't understand being bored, and I don't understand paying someone to do something that you very easily could do yourself, um, except, unless it's cleaning my house. <laughs> and then, and then I very much understand inviting someone to do that. <laughs> now, you, uh, you are... You're an outspoken, uh, as, as far as your views, you're never afraid to say how you feel about things. Has, is that something that has always been with you or did you develop that, you know, in college or whatever? How, how do you, cause, cause that's, that's not, everybody isn't like, you know, everybody's not comfortable, uh, taking a strong yeah, I stance. I, I don't know where the, well, I mean, I come from a, I come from a family of incredibly strong personalities. Uh, from my grandparents on down, um, incredibly strong personalities. Whether that's good or bad, de- depends. Um, some people love it, some people don't, and some people love those personalities. Some people don't. Um, the uh, point, I, I don't know. I think the point when I got out of, I was a very uh, until I left home uh, for college. I was a very uh, I was a very good kid. I didn't rock the boat. Um, some of my background growing up as a child had kind of made me a very uh, dutiful child and made me a very, a very, uh, a very, uh, I, I behaved very well. Mm-hmm. So when I went to college, I raised nine shades of hell. <laughs> you know, I, I raised as much hell as I possibly could because I was, you know, I, uh, I, I really, I really was a good kid all through high school and stuff. Um, would let my parents ground me, you know, and stay grounded. I wouldn't sneak out and stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, when I went, when I went to, when I went to college, I raised hell. And, um, at that point, it kind of came, uh, Athens at the time was kind of like Wild West. I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy. There was a lot of crazy shit going on. Um, I used to joke around about, how, you know, we were we were coming to Atlanta and playing, and you know, playing in Athens, and we were one of the few Athens bands that were accepted in Atlanta. Um, and it was because I always kind of joked around about us being punk rock farmers there, but it was it was true. Um, we were all living on you know had land. We were all raising hell out on the you know out in the woods, stuff like that. Very much more than. <laughs> All right. Are you still there? Because my 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 uh my computer went down. Uh oh. Yeah, I'm still got you. Are, you, are we still together? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. My my uh my, yeah. The mic is the mic is on the on the uh is on the computer. You hear my dogs in the background. Oh well, I'm hearing scratching when you're moving around. It looks like you're. Okay. I don't know. It's better now though. Help. Talk a little bit more. Is that, does that help you? 
Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay. Just turn me down. Okay. Um. There we go. So I guess I guess when I went to college, it was kind of like the Wild West in Athens, and I, I saw you know I saw some rebel rousers, and I saw these old school um, activists, and um, decided that that there was too much to be quiet about. You know, um, there was a lot going on. I I marched I marched in the coming march um, after Deacon Lunchbox and those guys got attacked. Um, Deacon was an old, was, you know, a kind of a hero of mine and he had done that first coming march with Hosea Williams and they had been attacked. And so I went on the second march with, with him, um, refused to let him, you know, refused to let them go by themselves. And it turned out 150,000 other people decided to do that as well. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was a really polarizing moment for me. I was like, well, you don't keep your mouth shut. Um, here's a great little story about that coming march. Um, Deacon received a class action settlement from the KKK um, from that march, from the injuries he sustained from that march. And at the time, Opal Fox was playing, and Opal Fox had a violinist who whose violin had gotten stolen when they were, I think they were in Baltimore or something like that. So <laughs> Deacon used his KKK money to buy a black violinist a violin so he could continue to play in a band that was fronted by a a transvestite. (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) So, so that right there, that's, that's the kind of dude that, uh, Deacon was. That's why he was so special to me. Wow. It was just, I mean, it's like, I figured that's the best way you can spend KKK money. Now up in Athens, what uh what kind of restaurant did you open? What was the first one? We had a place called the Downstairs. Um some friends of mine opened it. The third partner decided it was too much work. I had worked with those guys at a catering company and they let me buy in with my sweat equity. And it was a little meet and three underneath underneath the street. It was literally underneath the street and we uh had about thirty five uh, probably 35 seats in it. Made everything from scratch right in there. Um, pretty, pretty amazing little place. It was where uh, Jody Grind and Deacon Lunchbox, Opal Fox got their start in Athens. It's where you know Porn Orchard played in there. Five Eight got their start there. The Woggles got their start there. Um, so there was a lot of there was a lot of bands that are still around that are you know pretty um, pretty integral to uh, to. Georgia music that got their starts in that little room. Yeah. So has food always been something you've been interested in, uh, like cooking and experimenting with food, or, or how did that come about? Sure. I mean, um, food is my all. Everyone in my family cooked. You know, um, our big the big holiday meals were my grandma, or big meals in the summertime, or game meals or whatever. My dad and grandfather. Uh, cooked. Um, I learned barbecue from those guys. Um, so yeah, I think it was just one of us in our family was going to be a cook. It just depended on, on which one. And I was the one that couldn't seem to keep my ass in college. So <laughs> I'm the one that ended up cooking in a kitchen because I didn't have an education otherwise. You know, it really is what it comes right down to. You got brothers and sisters? Um, I could. I got uh, two brothers and a sister, all three of which are bona fide geniuses. 
Um, so I have a brother that's a pathologist for NOAA. I have a brother that's an architect, and I have a sister who is uh, an insurance executive. Holy so, shit, yeah. man! You got you guys are a, a a talented, studious bunch. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And and when I say that my my siblings are geniuses, I mean they're they're actually geniuses. I mean it's pretty amazing, pretty amazing stuff. So. Yeah, I'm definitely the I'm definitely the uh, underachiever for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's a crazy thing to hear. Um, <laughs> what? So you uh, were you tattooing when you came down here in '99? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had uh, I had sold the restaurant, gone on tour with La Brea Stompers for years, had gotten off the road because I was sick of playing rock and roll, and um, started. Uh, working at Kinko's, working at Kinko's for, well, I'd been working at Kinko's the whole time we were on the road because that's the perfect rock and roll job. Yeah. Um, at the time I could print all of our posters and, and all the postcards for mailing lists and stuff like that because there was no internet at the time. Um, so all that was me and run out of, uh, Kinko's plus it was, uh, it was the heyday of underground comics like eight ball, hate, stuff like that. Yeah. I was publishing. I was publishing in proxy through uh, Devlin Thompson. Devlin from Bizarro Luxury was coming to, coming in and spending every shift with me, essentially publishing every mini comic in, in the country. <laughs> so there's no telling. There's no telling how many hundreds of thousands of dollars Kinko's subsidized the underground comic scene <laughs> and then East Coast East Coast beer and piss rock and roll scene. <laughs> That's kind of beautiful. So I did that? Yeah, I did that. Left, left that. Started tattooing at Pain and Wonder um, with Mitch and Watson Atkinson and my my sensei Sava Ken, who was in uh, Lee Harvey Oswald band. Mm-hmm. Um, and he taught me how to tattoo. And I left. Uh, worked at the Manhattan famous Manhattan Cafe and tattooed, and then left Athens because it was just changing it just wasn't good anymore that the olympics did a number on it um and so came to atlanta decided that uh, my fiance and i decided that uh, new orleans would kill us so we came to atlanta <laughs> and the rest is history bought the star bar um rest is history from there look tattooed a black cat and then bought the star bar quit tattooing then now where does where does the rock and roll come in when did you start playing uh, when did you start getting into to bands and stuff the, is me, the, immediately when I went to Athens. Yeah, like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know anything about Athens music. Didn't care anything about Athens music. Don't really care about REM. But there was stuff like, there was stuff like, Time Toy and um, Jason and the Scorchers was coming through there constantly. The Butthole Servers were there all the time. Um, there was just a lot of stuff going on, and I was like, you know, I didn't care anything about REM and that whole crew. Right. But it was there was a lot of horrible, you know, a lot of horrible hippie music. The people who played it were were great folks. Dave Schools and those guys from Widespread, old friends, great, great guys. Mm-hmm. I could care less about their their music, but there was you know there was a lot of great people there, and there was a lot of great party going on. And it was just like let's play rock and roll, man. Let's let's do it. And so we started doing this weirdo stuff that um, even now when I look, listen back to it, I'm like, what the hell were we thinking? But it was <laughs> it was some weird. You know, butthole servers definitely had a huge influence on us. You know, um, 
that time we were getting we were getting crazy stuff through like Jesus Lizard pretty regularly and we were seeing new bomb Turks all the time and we had a pretty good little rock, you know a little pretty good little rock scene going on and then uh in Nashville Pussy moved down moved in with me um to get started and um we had a pretty good little clip going there and then you know the town slowly uh succumbed to the whole elephant six you know stuff which all those guys are great friends of mine too i don't really care for care for what's going on but i still talk to the guys in elf power and the guys in of oven montreal there's a couple of folks in those bands Dottie alexander from of montreal is one of my still one of my close friends um so I mean it's it, you know I don't I don't don't really care that much for the bands but I love you know I love them as people right. really there's some really great characters there and then you know I I have I have a connection to uh, drive by truckers that goes way back I played on their first records I did their first single covers I did their first album covers um, stuff like that so Patterson I Patterson and I go way back um, so. We're not as close as we used to be, but we uh, we definitely we definitely have our history for sure. And th- and then you came to Atlanta, and grease paint happened. <laughs> yeah, we came to Atlanta. Um, I d- had done a band after La Brea Stompers called Big Top um, that explored my my circus fascination, and it was an absolute reaction to um, the bullshit that I had dealt with on the road. Um, playing rock and roll in the early and mid nineties, making zero money and getting screwed by record labels and stuff like that. Mm. So I wanted to come and do something bombastic and loud and huge and, and ridiculous. So we did big top, which was light grease paint, but a lot more punk rock. Um, and a lot bigger and, uh, more aggressive. So when we got here, when I got here, we had done Grandma Tarkin um, and a couple of things, and Mike Geyer and I, who've always who've been friends for forever, um, decided that uh, we should do something together because he was doing puddles uh, here and there, mm-hmm. um, but I've been doing Reverend Uncle Laffo for a while, so he uh, he really wanted he really had no idea what you know anything about circus history, anything about circus performance, anything about clown um, at all, so. We really started working together with that. We got a chance to open up from for the chick from uh, Squirrel Nut Zippers. So, um, Soupy, a buddy of his that his, was his guitar player um, in Useless Playboys, happened to be in town playing with Jimmy Smith. Wow! <laughs> and we said, we said, get a, get your, you know, he's an incredible jazz guitar player. So we're like, man, sit down and let's just play some ice cream. We called it ice cream. And, uh, Mike and him noodled around and I'm beat on some drums and we put together grease paint and we did this show. Um, I can't remember her name, the chick from Squirrel Nut Zippers did a show with her and it just kind of grew from there. Um, and ended up being, I think at its biggest was about 12, 12 performers. Um, and we became this kind of, it was, it's, it was kind of weird. It's kind of Kurt Vile, Tom Waits. Nick Cave uh, Parliament. <laughs> sure, those things go together. Yeah, yeah. I, am I right? Yeah, you are. No, you're absolutely right. Which I I could never because I've t- attempted to describe grease paint to people, 
And all you can ever really say is clowns playing really strange avant music. Like I've never, I, I, I haven't even known the combination to put out there before. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I mean, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely pretty weird. And we did that, we did that, uh, did that tour with, uh, Tenacious D. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was pretty, that was pretty crazy. And Richard, Richard was with you guys at that point, right? Yeah, Richard was, Richard was with us from pretty early on. He was always with, uh, yeah, Richard Davis. He was, you know, he was in Tarkin with me too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he, uh, He's the reason I came. He's actually Richard Davis is is one of the primary reasons I came to Atlanta. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Tattoos, man. And uh, so he was the one that kind of sold me on coming to Atlanta. Um, so you have him to blame. <laughs> um, but yeah, we did that. We did that. Uh, we did that. Uh, Tenacious D tour. Everything was really firing all cin- uh, cylinders. We'd gotten in uh, Ipecac. He'd gotten in touch with this, uh, Mike Patton's label. Yeah, yeah. And was really snooping around, um, Andre 3000 he was snooping around, and then we blew it. <laughs> 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 then we, then we, then me and Mike ran that car, that little clown car right into a tree and destroyed it. <laughs> oh, wow. What, what happened? How does that happen? Uh, how, how does it not happen? <laughs> um, I don't know. How does it not happen with a 12 person band? Well, how does it happen when you have when you have over you have almost fourteen foot of clown? I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, me and Mike, me and Mike can't co-host together very long. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're great friends. We're great friends, but you know, we can't we can't share the limelight as much as we probably should. It's tough to work so. with people, man. I mean, it, it's tough to. Well, people, it, I work with people all the time. It's just me and Mike. Uh, me and Mike, as good of friends as we are, and is easy collaborators as we are and his magic because he's one of those guys for me collab collaboratively collaboratively is perfect like he and i can finish each other's sentences and we our 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 comedy is really really great together yeah but it also becomes very combative and also becomes very competitive um, so it kind of feeds on itself and it kind of ends up eating itself. So as much as we love each other, it's just no way for us to work together. So it's better for, for Jim Stacy to be doing what Jim Stacy does and for Mike Geyer to be doing Puddles the Clown. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is essentially Laffo, you know, mm-hmm. that he is, you know, he's, he's, he's definitely put Puddles into Laffo's skin at this point. So, so what does where where did Laffo come from, and what what is your clown history? Because there there is a definite. I mean, you you have a knowledge there. That's not just a a, a whimsical thing it's you came up with. A lot of a lot of reading, a lot of reading, a lot of study, a lot of you know, a lot of studious um, work on it, and then. Um, the light went off one, one late night, um, uh, TCM when it first came on, uh, screwed up and showed, uh, he who laughs, mm-hmm. the car off and, uh, <laughs> and that, uh, that, uh, Shane just texted me, um, <laughs> that, uh, I watched, I watched, uh, I watched the, uh, Lon Chaney, I mean the, the Chaney. Uh, 
he who laughs. And uh, that clown in there just blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Laugh-O was. And then I was obsessed with Rudy Ray Moore. So I was like, ah, so so here's a, here's a clown that looks like Chaney but needs to act like Rudy Ray Moore. So that seemed like a really hilarious dichotomy to me. I don't know if anybody ever got it, but, you know, <laughs> Of, there was a lot of hey, motherfucker, you know, kind of, you know, Laffo had a lot of that in him that, you know, I don't wear cotton, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember actually Rudy Ray Moore coming to town and you guys uh, all going out for that and it being a huge deal. Yeah, well, we knew I'm, we had searched Rudy Ray Moore out when I was when I was back in Athens um, we were all obsessed with all this black exploitation stuff. Um, psychotronic film, but black exploitation was something we were really chewing up. And we hunted Rudy Ray Moore down and got to where we were going back to his motel room and hanging out and stuff like that. And it ended up being a friendship that he and I had that spanned about 15 years. Um, there about a year and a half before he, you know, I had him out at the drive-in a couple of times. Um, he, uh, we ended up, Grease Paint ended up performing with him at the Echo. Um, we brought him out. This is about a year and a half before he passed away, where we had him come down and we did all of his old soul. He, he was a soul singer before he started doing comedy. Mm-hmm. So we got a hold of all of his old, uh, soul tracks and learned them all and had him come, had him come perform his, uh, his soul songs. And he did comedy before his son did comedy. Then he did a set, and then we, uh, well, we did a set. He, his son said did a set. Rudy Ray Moore did a set, and then he, then we came out and played all those songs with him. So it was pretty cool. Um, it was nice to, it was nice to hang out with him, and man, had a terrible time, but it was, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was pretty good too because we did the whole, we did the whole grease bank show, and he was like, "What the fuck was that?" You know. And it, and then we went backstage and he was doing his show and we, we got all changed and we dressed up and we uh, changed all of our clown suits out and we were dressed up as milkmen. <laughs> dressed everybody. We had little white hats and black bow ties and white shirts and white pants. And he comes back there and he's like, what, what is going on? What are y'all dressed up as? And I was like, we're milkmen. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, when your wife sneaks out, uh, sneaks, uh, when you go to work. I'm gonna sneak in and give your wife her own delivery. And he goes, "Oh, motherfucker, like you bring a whole pot of heavy cream." <laughs> so we kind of played that whole joke on backdoor man, and he was he was so tickled that we would go to that length. You know, it was uh, he was just he always called me Athens, Georgia, because that's where he met me first time. You know, so he's yeah, like, Athens, Georgia. I've been in Atlanta for ten years at that point. You know. <laughs> But it was it was really great to you know, he was just tickled that we that we cared number one and then that we would go to that links to you know pull such a joke on him so you know so it was pretty cool he was a he was, he was definitely a piece of work so <laughs> was One of those magical thing I was able to do at the drive-in was grease paint the last is that the last musical thing that you did because the last time i remember seeing grease paint was you guys in super x uh maybe at the highlander oh well that no that was just the last grease paint show we've done recently i do um i do a thing called the downer brothers with jay with joel burkhart and brian malone um jeff langston it's a murder ballad americana 
band, and then we have another band called uh, called AM Gold, which is kind of an Americana super group. It's got Jet Bryant from Bigfoot, um, Eric Young from Every Band in Atlanta, Joe Burkhart, <laughs> Blake Paris from uh, Young Antiques in Volume 4, Jeff Langston from Leadfoot Messiah, um, myself in it, and it's a big six-part harmony, um, Americana, big big working class kind of Americana band. Um, we did, uh, we did satanic mechanics, um, which was Gary Oxen, Dave Parker and I, when we owned the star bar, we would do these, we, every other year we owned the bar, we did these big, uh, anniversary projects. The first year we learned, um, we learned the Lee Harvey Oswald band record, um, front to back. And then Doug, Doug, uh, Savick out of the mothballs and made him come down and, and front the band that we did that covered that record, uh, every note front to back in order. Wow. And then our, the, the second anniversary show we did, we did a thing called Satanic Mechanics where we built every costume from, uh, from Rocky Horror Picture Show and performed all the songs live. And between the songs, we showed the movie. So the movie ran in sequence with lot, with a live soundtrack. Um, in fact, it's the only time I've ever shaved my chin because I played Frankenfurter, so, um, <laughs> I actually shaved for her. <laughs> wow. Um, so that, I'm trying to think, um, I've done some other things, uh, here and there, um, since, since Grease Paint. Not as, not as often. Um, we were definitely playing, um, we were def, I was definitely playing more then. I had more time then, but, once uh, once I started running the drive-in, um, I kind of you know when I had the bar, I had a lot more time to play. Yeah. Once I started running the drive-in, I had less time. Once we had the kid, uh, less time than that. And once I started um, putting together Palookaville, then um, that really that really kind of cut into my time and cut into the music for sure. So you went from the star bar to the drive-in. Right? I sure did. How did the how did the drive-in come about? What what made you want that so i had been i had been working with uh with um folks out at the drive-in uh terry old no um rip thrillby um we had scott scott um and uh terry had been running been doing uh drive invasion the drive invaders have been going out there every wednesday and they decided to have a have a, um, festival. So that first festival, I was like, I'd like to do anything I can to help you guys. Um, there wasn't a lot to do, help them out some of that. Um, we had a, there was a second one, had a little bit more active role in that. And the third one came along and I had gotten a job with RJ Reynolds, um, with this company out of Philadelphia that was administrating the red camel program. Yeah. Um, and so they gave me, uh, they made me their Atlanta, um, marketing director, which essentially meant that I got a whole bunch of money to throw these events. Um, that was how we had, um, faster pussycat kill kill with Tara Satana, Haji and Laurie Williams and mm-hmm. driving the first time they'd been together since the movie had wrapped. Laurie Williams had not been with either one of them. Tura and Haji saw each other pretty re- regularly, but that was the first time that all three of those women had been together since the movie had wrapped. Um, brought Rita Ray Moore out there. We brought Sid Haig out there. Um, Sid Haig and, uh, and, 
and Mr. Hill that directed uh, Spider Baby showed them Spider Baby. That was pretty amazing. Um, so, you know, we were able to do a lot of good stuff with that, and that that um, kind of made Drive Invasion a little bit bigger, uh, more organized presence, just being able to kind of put that cigarette money into it. Like all cigarette money, it evaporated. Um, <laughs> and I bought the bar, um, and when I was, I sold the bar, and Terry, old knowing Vid, came to me and said, "Hey, would you like to?" At the time, Vid was running the running the um, the the uh, drive-in, and they had um, as a interim manager because they had fired two managers. And he, you know, he was living out in California, so he moved over here just to start running that again. And they were like, well, you want to take it over and run it for us? And I said, absolutely. So I did it. Um, it was a great experience. It was hard. Um, I won't speak ill of the parent company, but they're, they're not, I don't think it, it uh, they do the place justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm proud of what I was able to accomplish out there. I really am. I mean, I did did a lot of work at that place and got it back, got it back on its feet. Um, that's all been kind of pissed away at this point. Um, it's a shame to see that everything that I kind of did out there undone. Um, but that, it, you know, it's not my business it was never going to be my business. And I came to that realization. And that was when I was like, you know, it's time for us to do Palookaville and pay attention to this. Cause at the time, um, get delicious, uh, was on and we were winning Emmys with it. Um, and it was doing really well, and Palookaville was taken off as far as the as far as the wagon was concerned, and then then the truck. So I was like, I think we can make a go of this as a brick and mortar. Um, so that was when we decided, you know what, screw it, let's do this. We're never gonna, you know, we've got a kid that's that's terrifying that we're gonna throw all this to the wind. But we went and lived in one room for six months, and you know, did it. Um, some of the hardest it's been one of the hardest years of my life um but it's, the, it's definitely the hardest work i've ever done um but i'm pretty proud of what we've what we've accomplished for sure it's been a hell of a it's been a hell of a 36 month run so far let's let's go through a little bit kind of the history of palookaville because I, I would the food truck is the first time i experienced it when you were at it uh atlanta zombie apocalypse one night but you sure. you were you had palookaville going at the same time you were running the drive-in. Yeah, that was how, that was how, that was part of the, that was part of the plan that I would keep a salary job to keep a roof over our head and take the work, another full-time job. Well, let's back up a little bit. The, the drive-in, managing the drive-in was more than a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And then I decided other more than full time job on top of that to take this risk. But I was like, as long as we're getting a, as long as I have a salary and Kim's working, we can do this. Um, and I bought a, I used a little bit of the money. Uh, I, I got paid a little bit of money when we sold the star bar, not much. Um, but I held on to it really tight and I bought a four by six popcorn wagon and equipment with it. And we started doing art openings at, at Dirk's, Tattoo shop, East Atlanta Tattoo. Um, we were doing food for those things. We were starting to do chomp and stomp. Um, you know, we'd set up at Little Five Points Parade, East Atlanta Strut, stuff like that. And we were serving out of this. I was cooking in a little tiny fryer on a card table and passing it through the window to Kim. 
and she was serving it to people out the front of the popcorn wagon. Wow. So we did that we did that for a season and a half and realized we just couldn't keep up. And that was when I started getting, I got on Craigslist and I found a emergency post office um, that had been built for Andrew down in Fort Lauderdale, bought a one-way ticket down there, um, bought it, um, drove it back from Miami uh, with pneumonia. Um, it, uh, I know it sounds like some dumb. My grandfather, I walked uphill to school both ways in the snow. <laughs> sounds like one of those stories, but it's all true. So I flew down there, got pneumonia, drove it back. It started raining when I left uh, when I left Fort Lauderdale. This was in February. Left Fort Lauderdale and it rained all the way back to Atlanta. It took me almost 22 hours to get the thing back. Oh. Um, I had to stop every few. Uh, I, I had to stop like every 200 miles and uh, sleep and the thing leaked so I'd wake up freezing and wet and, you know pneumonia was kicking in right outside of uh, Valdosta um, before you get to Valdosta do, but coming back from Miami it's after Valdosta but it's a place called Bigfoot Truck Stop mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen I'm sure I've passed it but uh, I, of course I had to fill up at a place called Bigfoot Truck Stop you know so <laughs> yeah the truck yeah fill it up with diesel, walk inside, and there's an Indian family that owns it. And uh, it's pouring rain. I'm, I have, had just slept at a, uh, at a rest stop, so I was soaking wet, was coughing, looked terrible. The little, the grandma was like, oh, you look terrible. And I was like, yes, ma'am, I don't feel very good. She's like, we're about to eat dinner. You're going to sit down and eat with us. Uh, so she sat down and she threw down one of the most beautiful Indian meals I've ever had. Wow. Um, it was, it was gorgeous. And, uh, she, uh, yeah, she, she saved my life. Um, probably saved my life on that trip back with that yeah. damn truck. So, yeah. Um, it's really great. I mean, she, I, I stop in there every time we go down that way. I stop in, stop in there. I've yet to see her again. You know, so she may be like large Marge. Like she never ate these. Oh, she died 10 years ago. You know, right, right. It was a ghost <laughs> meal. This little, this little Indian woman's ghost fed me. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> wow. But yeah. So we got up here and then I built the, I built the Palooka, what I call Palookaville Prime, the truck out of absolute garbage. Um, the roof racks on top of it are the old burglar bars from the Starlight um, that were I found in a shed. Um, you know, just stuff like that, like uh, scrap tables that I cut up, and you know, all that equipment's still on there. It's all still made out of garbage. You know, that thing, that thing uh, works festival after festival. You know, and that was how we were able to. That was how we were able to uh, to build Palookaville. Yeah. Now. Now you've got, uh, you know, between building the stuff for Grand Moff Tarkin, building the Palookaville truck and, and Palookaville itself, the brick and mortar one, you, you seem to be pretty, pretty crafty, like pretty good with your hands. When you're building something like that, what do you, I mean, how much time do you spend planning? How much time is just looking at a thing and thinking, you know what? This thing could be this other thing. How, how does your process work on that? Um, it's a little bit of column A, column B. Um, I am a copious researcher. I mean, I, I research almost, um, uh, I probably, I probably do at least two hours of research a day. And that's not, that's not hyperbole. I mean, I, I, 
I probably do at least two hours of research, hard research a day on wow. something. Um, so when I go into it, I have an idea of how things work. If I don't have a practical knowledge of it, I at least have book knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. So then there'll be a rough sketch done um, if it requires more uh, if it requires something a little more concrete than that then there'll be a scaled sketch done um, and then I just start building um, Palookaville uh, the restaurant the entire bar um, I built the entire bar myself um, me and uh, Dirk Hayes and uh, another guy uh, Dave Slocum uh, built that bar um, so in fact, when you when you look at the bar to the right hand side, there's a plaque that says this bar was built by two old trolls and a one legged giant. <laughs> and, uh, that's what that uh, Dirk Hayes gave that to me because Dirk and Dirk and uh, and Dave Slocum were are, are older, and then I was in that damn uh, I had that ruptured Achilles tendon the whole time. Yeah, so I was yeah, yeah. So that's what that one legged giant giant two old trolls means. But but I literally built that that thing by hand, and every piece of that wood was sanded, hand rubbed, and stained, and hand shellacked, and you know I, I did we did all that, and that was done. I had I, all, 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 there is less than a thousand dollars worth of lumber in that entire build because every bit of it is repurposed or recycled. Um, yeah, I, I definitely recommend anybody listening to this, go to the Palookaville Facebook page. Uh, it's Palookaville with two L's, two O's, and look at the, the progress pictures. Those are still up, right? Yeah, those are on the Facebook, those are on the Facebook page. You can look at a build diary. But, but all of my lumber came from a place called Lifecycle, Lifecycle Building Supply, which is down in South Atlanta. And what they do is they take, um, they take, building materials in from houses that are being torn down or from movie sets or that are salvaged and donated. So, you know, there's, there's lump, there's moldings and, and stuff in that, in that front of bar that were, you know, they were from the turn of the century that are cove moldings and stuff like that. That would probably be $80 a foot now. Mm-hmm. Um, but because they were, they were, had 80 coats of paint on them. I stripped them all, you know, and it turns out that there's tight green mahogany underneath it, you know, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, same way with the upstairs event hall. Um, there's a Naughty Pond Wayne's coating that runs around the entire room that was that probably had 25 coats of paint on it. And I developed this, I found this citrus paint stripper um, that we would slather on it and then put landscape plastic over it. So it would stay wet for 24 hours, and when, then we could just peel the paint off of it. You know, the entire back of bar is an old um, is an old mantelpiece and fireplace that had about 120 coats of paint on it. I mean, the paint on some places on it where it was a quarter inch thick. Um, got it stripped down. It's like holy shit, this is cherry. You know, um, the bar tops are uh, bar tops are old bowling alley. Um, which took a lot to strip that glue out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that stuff is all repurposed, you know. But it, there's probably there's probably less than a thousand dollars thousand dollars worth of lumber in it. And I think you know, there's a certain patina that it gives it. There's a certain look that it gives it that makes it look like it's been there forever. 
Yeah. Um, and New Lumber wouldn't have done that. Well, and it you fits know, in with the the exterior of the building is is very yeah. you know that whole area has that look to it that classic look, and I, I don't think the Palookaville would have fit in quite as well anywhere else. I mean that spot yeah. is is beautiful. Aesthetically, aesthetically, yeah. I mean, are there neighborhoods that might have been a little bit more um, ready for my brand of uh, wackadoo? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> but. You know, because because Avondale can be kind of conservative in its liberalism, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, there's some there's some really conservative folks over there, and then there's some very liberal folks over there that are very conservative as well. So, I mean, it. Um, I, I love the town. I love the people. I think it, you know they've been really generous and they've been really supportive. But Palookaville was a hard sell, man. I mean, it's 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 pretty esoteric. Yeah. You know, I didn't pull any punches with it. You know. I didn't dilute anything down. It's it's uh, it's exactly what I wanted to do, um, and I was pretty uncompromising about that. And I'm just happy that it's, so far it's worked. You know, so well, corn dogs are obviously the the kind of staple of the menu. I mean, I, I can't go there and not have a corn dog. But you've expanded sure. so much beyond that. What what was well, the process? Was it was never going to be just corn dogs. I mean, I only yeah. did corn dogs to begin with because that was the kitschiest thing that I could redesign and show people how good they could actually be. Um, it was just the easiest thing for people to wrap their heads around. I was like, wow, a corn dog that's made correctly is really good, mm-hmm. you know, because um, people have had shitty corn dogs for so long. So, yeah, yeah. This was just, it was just the gateway drug. <laughs> you know, literally. I, and then I was like, you, I was already going to feed them my corned beef and my, you know, my Brudrick stew and stuff like that. It was just, you know, corn dogs were what was going to get put, put Palookville's, you know, name on the map. Now the and Brunswick stew. Oh, about, go ahead. I was joking about that from the first gig, you know, and I was like, the corn dog that made Palookaville a household name. I was like, we're in a four by six. You know, popcorn trailer, and I'm already talking like this is a house, household name. It was that kind of bravado and that kind of <laughs> that kind of what I, what I call smart assery that that made people like, what is the you know this bombastic asshole? I mean, what is he? What's he even? You know, where does he get off saying this? And then it was like, oh, and then people were like, what do you mean you're waiting 45 minutes for a corn dog? You great? Oh, yeah. You know, so it was yeah. good to see that work, and it was good to be able to. Because you can't act like that. You can't use this whole carny Jedi mind trick if you can't back it up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You can't use that old carny, I'll guess your weight, or I'll give you a dollar if you think you're going to lose a dollar. Yeah. You know, that's the first rule is you, you, you don't write a check with your mouth that you ask in cash. You know? And, and there's been, then don't get me wrong, there's been some times where I'm like, whoops, <laughs> my ass is overdrawn. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't ever let them see you sweat either you know and people people uh people mistake that for me being cocky um or me being egotistical and it's not that it's that they can't see they can't see i can't well you can't let them see you sweat it's yeah yeah showman is what it is that's that's all it is and people mistake that false confidence in that that need to for the show to go on as some sort of 
egotism and it's not it's because the show's got to go on when you have 50 people who depend on you for a living the show's got to go the fuck on yeah you know you got to put on your big girl panties and go to work um because these people these people's families got to eat you know and so so that so it kind of goes hand in hand you have to kind of that that you know if I could let people into my head and see just how how much I worry and how much I fret and how how little sleep I get and how much I am always thinking and I'm always working to make sure that that happens for people, um, they'd be really surprised. I think. Well, um, and there's a certain. I'm not a confident guy in my head. I'm a confident guy outwardly, but in my head, I am. There is no larger critic that finds more fault than with me than I do. Um, I think that's just, that's one of my major one of my major processes. I think. <laughs> but there's a certain amount of in any kind of success, whether it's entertainment or, or any kind of business, that your outward presentation, when you have that confidence, it, it's part of the product. Really, like oh, yeah. you, if you're confident and you're certain, even if maybe every little thing doesn't go right or there's an aspect that isn't quite what you wanted it to be. But if you don't let people know that, then it's a success to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's the, it's a, Hey, Ted, look over here, look over here, look over here. I got you right there. You know, yeah. it's that same, yeah. it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, again, you know, you don't, you don't let them see you sweat. Um, yeah. And I think that's, you know, being, you know, being an illustrator, being an artist, being a designer, being a, cause I handle every aspect um, of that restaurant outside of management and finances. You know, Kim handles my office stuff. I've got a, I've got a gal that runs my GM stuff that kind of does my HR stuff, but you know, the appearance of the restaurant, the development of what comes out of it. I mean, it's a, it's a crew effort. Um, it really is. But, but the, the recipes, what's coming down the pipe, you know, all that stuff is, is mine. I have a great crew, like uh, Angelica um, is great about helping me develop things on the soda fountain. Um, my guys in the, in the kitchen are great about that, too. It's It's been a real enviable place. I mean, we've gotten a lot done. We've done a lot of magic in a year. Um, mm-hmm. We've also been through some really rough things in a year because we endeavored to do something pretty, pretty damn crazy. Um when I look back at that place, it, this improbability that this would have even worked um, kind of surprises me. You know, uh, it, it was even pretty, pretty tone deaf for me, you know, because I, I try to think that I don't have, I don't leave anything to chance. Um, sure. But because, because I do work at researching it so much, but when it comes right down to it, you can't prepare for every inevitability, you know, and one thing that Kim and I learned, I couldn't have done this in a million years without her. And I couldn't have done it without Susanna Aaron, my GM either. Um, when it comes right down to it without those two, this wouldn't happen either. And, and with Kim and I, we've been through so much crazy stuff together. Um, whether it's deaths, whether it's suicides, whether it's her brain surgery, you know, mm. crazy stuff like that. Um, we've been through so much stuff together just in the 10 years we've been together, um, almost 10 years that we've been together that with us, it's like 
we 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 discovered early on with each other that if we were forcing things to happen, then we were doing the wrong thing. And if we just let life happen, and when opportunities came up, we took them as they presented themselves, then things went along exactly how they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. Not that they were easy, not that it was effortless, yeah. but but we weren't forcing a square life into a round hole. You know, it was anything. it was still a lot of hard work, but there wasn't the resistance well, that there might have been. Well, no, there was still resistance, but what it is is it's it's resistance from others to you, not from you to the direction you're going. Yeah, you, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And that's a big difference. That's a big difference. There's always there's always going to be someone who wants to there's always going to be someone who wants to rain on your parade, you know. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Even if they're supposedly even if they're supposedly in your corner. You know, I one of my biggest one of my biggest enemies was there holding my hand with me. And I it took me it took us a little while to realize that all this poison in the well was this person, you know, and it was a big, ugly thing to, to, to deliver them out of our lives. But once we did, it was like, ah, see, this was, it wasn't resistance in the path we were supposed to be going. It was someone throwing roadblocks in front of us, you know, and we ignored our guts about it, you know, because it can't be this, that kind of thing, you know? And yeah, if she and I have learned pretty pretty dramatically that if we ignore our guts, it's going to fuck us, you know. And I think if you know, I don't know that if that would work for everyone, but it works pretty solidly solidly for Jim and Kim Stacy, you know, who is, as far as I'm concerned, is a pretty immovable team. You know, you know, we're we're a wall when we want to be. You know, and it's yeah. it's definitely works. So it, 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 she definitely multiplies, you know, she definitely multiplies my hit points. That's for sure. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's an interesting thing because it, I, it, it's hard with people knowing when to sort of cut people loose. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a tough thing, man. You know, I, I'm a softie. I'm a softie. I'm a people person. I'm a softie. Um, you know, it's part of it's part of the Santa thing. Um, I want I want to believe that people are good. I want to believe that that they do no harm. I want to believe that they have pure hearts. Um, I'm kind of a sap that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also kind of you know I can also be a grouch, but it, it's a weird dichotomy. But I'm also kind of a sap. I want people to be genuine. You know, um, so as I got older and I had some experiences from people who were just vampires dude you know yeah that's, that's my that's all i can say they're just there are some people that just take and they're good time charlies and they take and you know there's a getting out of the bar business really put a lot of that in perspective because i went from the bar business to a place where there was a lot of solitary work to be done at the drive-in you know i was by myself quite a bit out there on the range and uh Put a lot of stuff in perspective, and there were some people that fell by the wayside, you know, that just 
can't be in my life anymore. You just, you just fuck, you just suck. You you suck. You never put anything back. You just suck. Um, and you do it very, you do it, you know, very honestly or naively that you're doing it, but you do it, you know, and it's, it's a tough thing to do. And I, I haven't gotten any better at it. The great thing about Kim being kind of my foil is she is much better at it than I am. Um, she can get real cold. She can get real cold and do it where it makes me stay up all night. Um, but she, yeah, uh, I mean, she doesn't do it because she's not, you know, she's not a sociopath or nothing. Right, right. No, I. She knows how to be business. Yeah. And sometimes I have a hard time being just business. You know, I was like, I, I went to the mat for you. You should go to the mat for me. You know, what's the problem? So right, right. It's, it's, it's so she, you know it, she toughens she toughens up where I'm too soft and then. I soften up where she's too tough, so it works pretty good, you know. So with uh, Palookaville well underway, or I guess underway, how did Deep Fried Masters come about, or was that even predating Palookaville? Because that had to be in the works a little bit, right? Uh, we uh, we filmed that. Um, I filmed that while we were building um, the first the first uh, the first episode of the first three episodes and then we should filmed another four episodes about six eight months later um no what happened with that is uh i had done three get deliciouses um first get delicious won a couple of emmys second one didn't win anything we won some emmys for christmas show that i did as really big santa um with those guys with jack walsh and gordon gordon ray from pba 30 and then we did get Delicious three, and won a bunch of Emmys for that, uh, including best magazine program. Mm-hmm. Um, and we beat we beat every news organization on the East Coast for that. So yeah, that's pretty wild. I mean, that's talking about a, a food show beating out yeah, your main. Yeah, beating out uh, daily daily morning shows. Yeah, in big markets. Yeah. Um, so. We, you know, our hundred and, and, and I'm not joking when I say, uh, our show costs less than a thousand dollars to make each episode. It does. <laughs> um, so, uh, in fact, Doug Richards from, uh, from Channel 11 leaned over and goes, I think it's hilarious. You keep whipping our ass for your thousand dollar show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Doug. I mean, Doug, Doug's become a really good friend too. One of my favorite journalists in Atlanta, but you know, it was really great to hear that. But that was what kind of set people up and put me on the radar. And I started getting all these crazy offers um, for stuff. I've turned down probably – I don't really get all these offers anymore, but I was I was turning down every couple of weeks, a reality show every couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember sitting through a pitch out at the drive-in, and I was like, you know, we're really not that interesting. And he goes, I don't know – I think you're, you just really underestimate how weird you got your life and you guys are. And I looked at the guy and I was like, I don't know if that's a fucking compliment or an insult, but either way, you need to get the fuck out of my office. Yeah. <laughs> so, cause I was like, I'm just not, I'm not listening to that, man. I mean, right. You know, right. That right there solidified the fact that I would never put my family through that engineer pathos for some producers to scratch some producers balls. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. This is how dare you? That this is this grotesque. And um, so when I got offered Deep Fried Masters, 
that was as reality as I would get. I was like, okay, I'll do a food show that's a kind of a judge show. And as much as they didn't want to say it was chopped at a fairground, it's chopped at a fairground. Mm-hmm. Even the company, even the production company that makes it makes chopped, you know? So it's chopped on a fairground. And when I said that in a couple of interviews, I got the, I got chastised. You don't ever mention chop when you're, well, it's like, well, you just made chop on a fairground. It's, you know, it's, it's actually be honest about this. Yeah. So we've done, I've done seven episodes with them. Um, I, uh, my relationship with discovery is not the best at this point. Um, and we'll see what goes on, uh, what goes on with this while I was, putting together the deal with discovery. Um, I had met these guys from, um, deep fried uh, from, uh, here in Atlanta and a production company called school of humans. Um, they were friends of friends and they had all worked with mutual friends and blah, blah, blah. We kind of knew each other around and we came up with four or five pitches and started pitching them to anyone who would listen. Um, Pitched them to Destination, pitched them to Discovery, pitched them to the Country Channel, pitched them to Outdoor <laughs> Network, pitched them to anybody who would listen to it, who would take our pitches. Yeah. And um, Cooking Bit, Cooking Food Network, Scripts Bit. And um, while we were working on the Deep Fried Masters contract, we were working on um, a property for Cooking Channel, putting it together. Um, and then we went and filmed a pilot for that which has become Offbeats with Jim Stacy and um, that October 17th premieres on Cooking Channel the, f- the next six episodes of it so um, wow that's really kind of t- taken off I'm kind of starting actually starts tomorrow my, all my press junket stuff for it starts um, so we'll see how that goes it's, that's been a it was great working with those guys you know I was on the road for about eight weeks um, which was really tough to do the restaurant and be on the road for eight weeks and a four year old and yeah, yeah, just really rugged, really, really tough. And I was doing things like I refused to be out for more than four days at a time. Um, just cause I didn't want to miss stuff here. Didn't want to miss stuff at the restaurant. So I was doing stuff like flying back from Seattle, being here for 48 hours and flying back to San Francisco. Um, so that was pretty, that was pretty rugged, but it was one of those things that I just refused to give up. You know, I was like, I'm going to spend at least a, you know, 12 hours with my kid. Having a kid gives you this weird combination of being more grounded, but also more ambitious. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and it, and, and everybody who, everybody was like, oh, you're, it's, your whole life's going to change. It's like, so what? I mean, who wants your life to be the same constantly? Yeah. Yeah. And I never understood why that was bad. You know, here's another thing too. I, it always drives me crazy when somebody's like, Oh, she looks just like you or she looks just like her mother. And it's like, she better. I'm going to go look, I'm going to go out looking to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's so. funny. It's funny how that goes back and forth because different with, with my son, he's six now. When he was a baby, looked just like me. Now looks just like his mom, and it go it like alternates, especially with moods and stuff. Like when yeah. he gets when he gets pissed off or agitated, he looks just like her. Yeah. When he's being a when he's being a smartass or doing something funny, looks just like me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird too. Like uh, the other day, I 
can't remember what we were doing. I think we were unloading something out of my truck, and I did something. Oh, I was doing a chef demo um, at a festival, and me and Kim were unloading something out of the truck, and I said something. I looked at her, and I was like, holy shit. I just had a, like, Jim Stacy Sr. And she was like, <laughs> man. it was really bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I said it, and I could just... It was like it was almost you know how when uh Bob in Twin Peaks peeked over the end of the bed and his face turned into an owl yeah yeah which is, which I still think is one of the creepiest things that's ever shown on TV that and Doctor Sin but so but that I, I saw my dad's face like all of a sudden projected <laughs> over mine when I oh said, dude you know, dude I like, know <sighs> I I hear I hear uh, phrases straight from my dad coming out of my mouth. Uh, I won't say all the time, but more often than I'd care to admit. Yeah, it, it, it'll, when it happens, it always sets me straight back on my heels. Yeah. Okay. I remember one of the most brutal evenings or nights we spent. My dad stepped on a, on a damn yellow one-dot square Lego. Oh. In his tidies He's in his whitey tidies stepping on that damn thing. Raise so much hell that we had this massive set of Legos. Four kids, you know, we'd put all the Legos together. We'd bought all the Legos from the older kids in the neighborhood at, at, at uh, garage sales. I mean, we had this huge, massive, uh, it was a, uh, it was a dishwasher box. It was probably a third full. I mean, it was tons of them. Yeah, yeah. He goes and every goddamn one of them in the trash can. Uh. And we were all like, <laughs> He's like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> so just this, just this, you know, this oh, wailing, gnashing of teeth, rending of clothes. Um, of course, you know, they were sitting, they were sitting back in the box the next morning, you know, yeah, in, the, yeah. in the game closet. You know, they didn't get thrown away at all. But it was a couple, I guess it was a couple months ago, I was walking through the house and stepped on, Tallulah had finally gotten her first set of small Legos. Yeah. Damn, if I didn't step on one in my underwear. (laughs) 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 And I was just like, man, I just didn't learn a damn thing, did I? Yeah, that, that Lego foot pain, man, that's a very specific, unique kind of pain. (laughs) <laughs> it, is, it is special. <laughs> so, uh, so you've got you've got your name in the new show, man. How was that a fight, or was that just something that was part of it? No, they uh, they decided they wouldn't name it Offbeat Eats and committed to that, and then realized there was something else called Offbeat Eats, and they had to put my name in it. Well, that worked out, huh? Well, I was like, you, <laughs> I I knew it. See, that was the thing too. It was like, yeah, we want to call it Offbeat Eats because we want to, blah, blah, blah. and I, all I did was go Offbeat Eats, huh? Google, oh, there's one already. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, sure, run with it. You know? Wow. So, you know, you know, I, I don't, what do I know? <laughs> you know? Right. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not the professional. I'm just the, you know, I'm just the dumbass self-taught, self-taught, you know, cook that has these ideas and can draw, you know? So, what do I know? Uh, Google is my friend. Yeah, you so, just sit back and and watch what happens. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter to me what we call it. You know, yeah. as long as it's not called Jim Stacy has to work for Guy Fieri, I don't care. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. It it is, uh, uh, and it certainly is a big part. It is. It is the most beautiful time of the year. I've I've been told. 
Uh, that's what I hear. Uh, certainly a <laughs> big so part of, of Atlanta Christmas is really Big Santa, who, yeah. who I want to talk about a little bit. Last year, sure. uh, we got to visit really Big Santa at Palookaville upstairs in the event hall, which was really, really cool. And it was actually my first experience with really Big Santa. Uh, I, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten into that previously. What, what's the history of that fella? Uh, okay, so, um, oh, let's see. How do I tell this tale? Um, my mom passed away when I was about six years old, and uh, we, it, it's tough. Tough to lose your mom at that age. Um, and I had a really great uh, stepmom. Um, but there, there were some ways that the adults in our lives could have handled it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't prepared for it either. They weren't prepared for her sudden, sudden death. And mm-hmm. she was, you know, she was a great lady. So it was tough on everybody involved and, you know, people didn't handle it really well. And, um, that's neither, not their fault. It's just the way things were not, there weren't a lot of resources at the time, you know, um, there was a lot of Southern uh, men of an older generation that just, you know, you don't deal with, you don't deal with your emotions. You, yeah. you cover them up, you know, and you know how it is. And it, you know, it was the seventies and it was a different time. So that happened. And, uh, I remember, uh, Santa Claus being just a really important thing to me. And my stepmother was really great about going whole hog, uh, on these, uh, on, uh, holidays like it was really important for her to be very uh very active during them and do as many crafts and decorate as much as possible and she was really she's really great about that which i don't consider her my stepmom i consider her my mom yeah so when i stepmom that's just for a placeholder i mean i've never called her anything but mom um but she was really great about she hunted down this beautiful santa claus just gorgeous guy and uh great santa and when i was about uh when i when i found out there there uh when i was too old to go sit on santa's lap i decided that one day i was going to be a santa claus i was probably about 12 years old and uh about um 10 years ago i started uh probably more than that about 15 years ago i started doing a character for um, Star Bar Christmas Spectacular um, called Shitty Claws, which was this old foul mouth NASCAR Santa. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, the Santa that gets done at uh, Criminal by Henry Owens is kind of a direct, uh, kind of a direct um, copy of it, of old Shitty Claws. Um, though Shitty Claws is more eloquent. And a, a deeper character study of the pathos of the American male, I believe. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> so I was doing that for a while, and then I decided, you know what, it's time to put this to bed. I'm no longer in the I'm no longer in the bar. So when I left the bar, I decided to go become a legitimate Santa Claus, and um, started doing that. And uh, this would be my eighth year, um, eighth year doing it professionally. But I am going to take, um, no, it'd be my sixth year doing it professionally. I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take this year off, um, to spend the entire season as 
Tallulah's father instead of as Santa Claus. Yeah. So she gets to experience uh, the next few years, next couple three years, uh, in a Santa free environment here, and lets her lets her live that fantasy. Um, un, un, unimpeded without any question. I think that's beautiful, um, man. I, I really, really do. And I'll pick it up. I'll pick it up after, uh, I'll pick it up in about three years or so. Yeah. Um, and it, it, the only thing that, the only thing that sucks is I have kids that have only known really big Santa as their Santa and they're going to have to do something else this year, but my kid needs to have her Santa. So that's what's, that's what's important. That, that is absolutely. I'm, I'm, I think that's really awesome that, that you're able to set that aside. You know what I mean? Yeah. So instead for, uh, for Halloween this year on the 25th, we'll be doing, uh, Professor Morte and, uh, Captain Sonny Bean, uh, the ghost pirate. We'll be doing a beastly brunch, which is like Christmas with, uh, breakfast with Santa Claus, but it'll be, uh, Professor Morte and, and, uh, Sonny Bean. So we're doing that on October 25th and then we'll do another, we'll do another, um, sing along, uh, with Puddles. Um, so Puddles and Santa Claus did a really big Santa did a holiday sing along this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll do, uh, we'll do the holiday sing along, but it'll be Puddles and, uh, Puddles and I'll do another character, probably the Yeti. Um, the Yeti will come out and we'll do a Yeti puddles uh, sing along. <laughs> wow. And then uh, we also have, uh, I've also had, uh, Jeffrey Butzer. Um, every year he does the entire, uh, Peanuts Christmas at the Earl. And, um, he sells out three nights at the Earl doing that. He's going to come in on Sunday night, the 21st of, uh, December. And do an all ages performance of it at seven o'clock at Palookaville. So they come in and they do the entire Vince Guaraldi, uh, Christmas for a uh, peanuts record front to back. Oh, wow. Just is beautiful. Um, so it turns out really nice. So we're, we've got some stuff we're going to do. Otherwise we still may have a breakfast with Santa Claus upstairs. Um, I've got a friend, um, who, uh, who lives up North that is one of my, is one of my favorite Santa Clauses ever. Um, and he's kind of taking it easy this year, and he may come down and do breakfast with Santa Claus and take really big Santa's uh, space uh, spot this year, um, so we can still do a breakfast. Sure, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. We've got time to figure that out. Yeah, um, I'm just wrapping my head around the fact that I'm not going to be doing it um, this year because it was a it's a big it's a big thing for me because it's uh, it's important. You know, it, it it's. Uh, for people who have never done it, it is, it is important, heavy work. Um, you have, you at least have one kid a season that completely catches you dead in your tracks and will shake you to your core. Uh, you just never know what it's going to be. You never know who it's going to be. You never know what kid it's going to be. And they're going to ask you a question or tell you something that you were wholly unprepared for. Um, and it can be, it can be heavy, you know? Yeah. Uh, it can be heavy in, you know, after you see 25 kids that are terrified of you, or it can be heavy and you have a kid that comes up and opens up to you that is just hard, uh, just hard to, 
wrap your head around. So people, you know, people don't really take that into account. And, and with my type of Santa Claus, there's a lot of, there's a lot of professional guilds and stuff like that that I have been part of and have, have removed myself from because most Santa Clauses I find very unpleasant. Um, and I have about five or six guys that are Santa Clauses that have become really great friends that I keep up with constantly and we talk all the time. Um, but those are the only Santas I keep in touch with. And we all kind of have the same, the same, you know, code of ethics that we follow. Like, I don't do it for the money. Um, I could make a lot of money being a Santa. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still about 20 years too young. Um, the thing that sticks in those guys' crawls sometimes is the fact that I'm so young and I'm doing it. Um, the fact that I can sell my own stuff, that I can build my own stuff, that I can write my own stuff. Um, it really kind of it becomes a little bit. Um, sometimes it's uh, it's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of jealousy at work there. Um, but the guys that I hang out with and the guys that I talk with all the time don't sh- we don't share any of that. For us, it's like it's about the kids. Yeah, you know, it's about being Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I am Santa Claus; it's that I can project that for these kids and play that role for those kids. Some of these guys forget that they're not fucking Santa Claus, right? You know, they actually think they are. You know, and it's it's really weird the ego trip that starts happening with these cats. You know, it's it's really crazy and. It, with me, it's with me. It's about listening to the kids. Like you, it, when you watch me work as a Santa, it's it's a lot different than you would see other Santas work. Mm-hmm. It isn't about getting the picture. It isn't about mom and dad standing right there and you know you tell him what you're going to say. You know, it's like you know what we're going to talk and you guys are going to stand over there and I promise you we'll get a picture. Yeah, you know, and we'll get a really good picture. But we're going to talk for a while. It's going to be about us. And it's always, it's not as much as what do you want, you know, which we do talk about, but it's also, how were you this year? Are there things you could do better? Yeah. You know, are there, it's a room for improvement, you know, so it becomes a real discussion, which I think, um, you know, I, I, I think is, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what, you know, what my clause was going to be and how it was going to be for, for kids. And, um, I've been pretty proud of what, what's come out of it for sure. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, my son is not, he, he doesn't go sit with Santa's. He, he just, yeah. he doesn't want to have anything to do with it, man. But really big Santa one, it took very little coercion to, to get him to sit with a really big Santa. And two, my son is not crazy about conversations about how good you're being and what are you doing? Right. And that sort of thing. Sure. And sure. he had, oh boy, he is man. He, he had, <laughs> he, he had no problem sitting there and talking with really big Santa for several minutes about yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And we talk about it. We talk about it as long as they want to talk about it. If he sits in my, if he sits in my lap for 20 minutes, he sits in my lap for 20 minutes. If he sits in my lap for 45 seconds, that's what he does. It's up to the kid. It's, you know, it's, you're not there. You're not there for mom and dad's memory. Yeah. You're there for the kid to build the kid's memory. Yeah, yeah. You know? And if mom and dad happen to be involved, then that's even better. But it's for the kid, you know, because really when it comes down to it, there's a lot of things to discuss. Like, you know, I've had parents who are like, well, we're just not going to tell our kids about Santa Claus if it's a lie. And I was like, well, no, it's a fantasy. 
and, and what it is is it, it it is if it is handled truthfully and it is handled without without duplicity then what it is is it's it's the we it's it's the it's the weaving of an actual fantasy and and, and exercise in imagination that is unsurpassed that even the most mundane boring person can participate in mm. because all of the lore is already laid out in front of you all you have to do is go along with it yeah all you have to do you don't have to learn lines you don't have to learn anything you already know it all you have to do is go along with it and you can participate in it you can participate in this great play acting that is as old as time you know that we did around campfires as oral history you know, people aren't good at that these days. People haven't been good at that in a long time. But this is something they can partake in. And so for me, it's it's perpetuating that that same oral tradition, you know, with people who aren't really capable of doing that in any other way. And so when someone comes to me and is like, well, I'm not going to do it because it's a lie. Well, you're not going to do it because you're copping out and you think that you think that you somehow being – "Quote unquote honest in all things somehow is not going to hurt this fantasy play or this or this this tradition of oral of oral history or exercise that that one little nugget of uncompromising honesty is going to replace that half right you know what I mean yeah." Yeah. So, so that child will lose that winsome, fantastical, uh, complete uh, world of fancy because you had to be you had a, a, a hardcore line in the sand um, that you would not that you would not ever lie to your child. I don't say this. I don't say that it's a lie. Nobody's nobody's ever mad at their parents about Santa. Like nobody ever looks back on their childhood and is mad about Santa. Mad that they, mad that they, and if they are, then that, there's a bigger problem. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> then, 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 then there's, there's another. There's other problems. You know, and that's the thing too. Or that's the thing too is you're mad at the kid that told you. Yeah. Like I'm still pissed at that it told me. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Sure. And and with with. <laughs> With things the way that they are now, I, I I absolutely dread, you know, the day that uh, the 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 magic ends. I guess for for my own son, I, I'm I, I live in fear of that day. Like I'm just, I don't know where it'll come from. Uh, I, but I, I I think about that man. Like that that's out of all the fears that I have, that one's up there. Yeah, well, yeah, it's weird because. It's weird because I uh, I fear for a lot of things. Um, that's an inevitability that I don't really I don't really fear about. I, I fear that you know I, I don't want her to ever be hurt. I don't want her to ever be physically hurt. I don't want her to you know traffic accident scare the shit out of me. You know stuff like yeah. that. That's the stuff that, that that makes me you know paralyzed with fear is is getting a phone call that. You know, a semis hit the two of them or something. You yeah, know. yeah. That's the kind of thing that gets me. What I, the uh, their 
learning up and becoming wise and becoming self-aware and becoming aware of the world around them is an inevitability. The only thing I can do is have provided a window of playfulness that maybe other parents would never think about doing, mm-hmm. you know, that I find old cart, uh, I find a, I find a curriculum of old cartoons and old movies and music and art and, uh, science and naturalism and, you know, uh, experience. I find that, I find that more important than church, than, you know, it's, it's spiritualism in its own way, you know? Yeah. I don't know that people will agree with that, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the way we live our lives, you know? Um, we try to live our lives, we try to live our lives in a very, uh, a very specific way too, where we give back to the community at every turn as much as we possibly can, you know, whether it's making sure our employees have insurance, health insurance or, you know, yeah. we, you know, we do, we do a lot of, we do a lot of outreach in the community. We do a lot of, we, we try to put back constantly. I don't think I've made money playing music in 15 years. Every dime I've ever made has gone back to the community the minute, you know, it's been made. So, you know, and I don't do that for any points or any, you know, any recognition. I do that because that's the way I think it should be done. And that's the way I'll raise my daughter. Um, you know, she's, it was kind of funny the other day. We, we told her we were going to go through her, her toys and call out everything she didn't play with that she's too old for anymore. And she said, what are we going to do with them? We'll throw them away. And I was like, no, we're going to, we're going to donate them to kids that don't have toys. And she was like, Oh, we'll make all their dreams come true. <laughs> you know? That's it's awesome. Like, I was like, Okay, kid, you you know, you're definitely a Santa's kid, you know. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. It sounds like you've really carved out a a, a nice place for yourself. Uh, yeah, I I'd hope so. You know, I'd hope so. We're only going around once as far as as far as I can tell, so you know. I'd hope that I'd hope that we've 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 made an impact. I hope that, you know, there'll be more people that are, that think fondly of me than otherwise, you know? Right. I, mean, I would hope, I'd hope that's what, I hope that's what we're doing. I'd hope that that's, you know, it's going to be something that's, that's stable and lasting and, you know, it has an impact. It does good, you know? I'm not, I'm not at all, uh, self-righteous enough to think that we've changed anything, but it, I would hope that we've made impact, you know, that we've given people, uh, relief, that we've given people comedy, that we've given people joy, that we've, we've made people's struggle a little bit easier or given them some respite, you know, hopefully, you know, that's all you can ask, I think. Well, I definitely think fondly of you, man. Do you, uh, do you feel good? Do you feel like we covered everything? Feel good, man. I think this was a good one. Yeah, but yeah, nice. I had fun. This was a good talk, man. Well, thank awesome, it, dude. Anything you want to plug before you go? Uh, you want to hit the website or Facebook page uh, or anything uh, like that? Yeah, well, you can follow us on www.palookaville. Uh, well, Facebook. The Facebook page is the easiest way because I'm on it. It's easier to update. Uh, you know, people can bitch all they want to about social media, but, you know, I'm back in touch with people I thought I'd never hear from again. You know? Yeah. So it, it does great things for me. Um, but we, I update that in real time. 
TV show, Off Meetings with Jim Stacy. Uh, it will have been on when this comes out. It will have been on for four or five weeks at that point. Okay. Um, when this is when this is aired, and uh, we are working on a second location, I believe. Holy shit! So I'll, I'll have more information about that when it'll be a smaller uh, Palookaville Junior. Um, so we hopefully we'll be moving along with that when next we talk. Um, hopefully there'll be a line of condiments out. We'll have a Palookaville line of mustards and ketchups and everything like that. Hopefully, so there's a lot of stuff happening down the down the pot. We just found this. We just found this new, this new cooking thing that um, is pretty amazing that they're sending over to Africa. But I want to. We're going to try to start working with a company that um, is producing these these crazy, crazy new invention. It's just, it's it is a game changer. But I'm going to try to start uh, focusing on getting them out to needy folks in Appalachia and at disaster areas here in the United States, stuff like that, because it's could really change the way um, food preparation and, uh, and cooking use in areas that have either power shortages or, or, uh, or undergoing desperate, you know, uh, desperate times could really change. It's a game changer. So we're going to try to work, Work with this company. This has just popped up. I'm going to try to do that and try to get it, get it out domestically a little bit more. They're using it pretty widespread in Africa right now and it's doing great things. So we're going to try to use it domestically, try to get, you know, I just, I just feel like we, we have so many people in need here that have been forgotten here in this country that a lot of what we're doing for the next, a lot of our goals for the next three years are going to be directed right here at home in our own, our own region. Whether it be Appalachia or you know further up in the Smokies and stuff like that. So. Wow, that's great, man! Holy yeah. cow! Well, thanks for coming on. I, I I really appreciate it. This has been a good talk, man. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me, buddy. Man, that time flew by. That's one of the longer one-on-one interviews I've had on the show but it just flew right by the only reason we stopped when we did was that i had to be up at 3 30 the next morning and i had to end it uh, that's why it might seem sort of abrupt there at the end but i i had to cut it out man and i i wish we could have gone on and i could have split that up into a two-parter but there will be a second part regardless because i've got to talk to that guy again because here's another thing he was on the tonight show with jay leno a couple of times and we didn't even talk about that. There's all kinds of stuff we didn't even really touch on. We barely scratched the surface of grease paint. There's lots more to talk about with Jim Stacy. Uh, I've got questions about Offbeat Eats now that I've actually seen it. Uh, because we recorded that before I'd seen the show. Now I've seen the show and it's great. And I want to talk about it and some specific things on the show. So uh, hopefully I'll have him back on sooner than later. He's a really busy man kind of hard to nail down but we'll get there needlessthingssite.com is the place to find more needless things podcasts as well as more stuff about music movies wrestling entertainment comic books everything you can download the needless things podcast on itunes and on stitcher and 
We've got a lot more coming your way throughout the end of the year. The next episode is going to be about Record Store Day's Black Friday plans. That's right. We're going to be talking about music specifically, uh, Record Store Day stuff, where the new Faith No More single called Motherfucker will be available on 7-inch vinyl first on Black Friday. I'm there. I'm going to be there. Join us. We'll talk about it. Thank you so much for listening. I love you guys. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.